Hi, I'm Sophie Callahan, an equine portrait photographer from the UK. I'm loving hearing from so many amazing photographers around the world, and I think that you'll really enjoy this episode. Welcome to the Equine Photographers Podcast with Peter DeMott. Welcome. You're listening to the Equine Photographers Podcast, the place to learn from top equine professionals around the world as they share their experience and knowledge on what it takes to be an accomplished equine photographer. Now, here is your host, Peter DeMott. Hi, this is Peter DeMott of the Equine Photographers Podcast. And today I have Sean Hamilton with me of Clicks Photography. Uh, com. She is an equine photographer in Canada. Hi, Sean. How you doing? Good. Hey, so we always start this out to find out how you got involved with horses and how you got involved with photography. So which came first? Was it the horse or the camera? Hmm, I would say probably the camera came before the horse opportunity. The passion for the horses was always there, but the opportunity didn't arise till I was about 12 or 13. And I think I got my first 35 mil from my rich aunt <laughs> when I was about 10. Wow. Yeah. I think I started photography when I was 10 or 12. So yeah. Lots of butterflies and flowers and... <laughs> You were doing black and white back then or not? No, color print back mm-hmm. then, and then that eventually merged into a slide. So you had a passion for horses then also? Yes, I did. And the opportunity arose. My mother ran a fabric store out of an old orange hall out in the country by Ottawa. And um, a lady rode by with her horse one day, and she decided to come in and wanted to buy some material. And I was in awe of the horse, and they made a deal that she would give me riding lessons and trade for fabric. So that worked out quite well. And that was when you were how old? No, probably 12. Okay, so the camera and the horses came about the same time. Yeah, pretty much. I think mm-hmm. one of my first uh, projects that I did for school was done with the camera and the horses. Mm-hmm. So tell us how you evolved into clickshotography.com. Well, I started the business back in the mid-80s, and I decided that I wanted to get published in some magazines, so I bought the book called The Photographer's Market. And I was running, I was working for a database management company at the time, and I keyed in a lot of the addresses of the magazines that I thought I wanted to work for, and that included landscape, travel, and sports. One of the magazines that responded to me was Horse Illustrated. The nice thing about them was that they gave you a one-year kind of guidelines as to what they needed, so mission guidelines. So I started shooting horse shows and whatnot according to their guidelines, and about a year later... I actually ended up getting published through them uh, and through the Canadian horse uh, magazine as well. I left work when I was pregnant with my first child and took three to four months off and ended up photographing in the meantime. 
Then I went back to work and discovered that it wasn't really what I wanted to do anymore. So I ended up uh, quitting work and running the photography business. So how long did it take before you would say you became a profitable photography business? Uh, well, I guess you have to define profitable. <laughs> <laughs> well, it sounds like you were, were yes, you married at that time? Know. Uh, yes, and about it took me about a year of photographing horse shows to really make a business plan and a business model. And my my income was mainly from selling to riders at horse shows and three day events, and then also selling the images from those shows to the magazines, and then that eventually culminated into more of the stock photography end of things, but still with horses. Now, in Canada, is there a horse illustrated that's just for Canada, or uh, no, how does that work? The horse illustrated that I was first published in was actually in the U.S., and the Canadian horse magazine industry, unfortunately, has a very, very small piece of the advertising pie, so in order to make a profitable business as a horse photographer, I believe, in Canada, you have to have U.S.-based clients. Both editorially and commercially. There's just not enough money in the Canadian industry. I mean, certainly in the Canadian horse show industry, there is some stuff there depending on how many weekends you want to be away. But as far as editorially and commercially goes, you really have to broaden into into the U.S. I kind of looked at you as an editorial photographer or an assignment photographer. Um, would you say that's a good characterization? I think in the beginning, I would probably would be characterized as a horse show photographer and then eventually an editorial uh, stock photographer in the horse world. And now I have ventured into more of the horseback riding vacation articles, which I really enjoy. When the economy wasn't looking so good in the U.S. and it was apparent to me that I wasn't going to make it just editorially and commercially anymore. I decided to go back to school and take a small writing course, creative writing course, and started to do horseback riding vacations and sell myself as both the photographer and the writer. So I'm now really a riding vacation photojournalist. Okay. Now, but I did see that you had recently gotten some new accolades. I think I saw that on your Facebook Yes, uh, Tell being us about that. in uh, National Geographic Traveler magazine. That was really exciting for me. Uh, it was a crossing of the Andes trip that I did with Pioneros Outfitting from Chile to Argentina. It was a seven-day trip in the saddle. And I published a bunch of articles, probably four to five articles by now, on either riding in Argentina or the crossing of the Andes article. And a woman, an editor, a writer for National Geographic Traveler magazine in British in um, in the UK, went on the same ride as I did with the same outfitter. And for some reason, her photographer didn't come through, or it didn't happen. And he put her on to me, and she went to my website. And one thing led to another. And just in uh, this month, actually, the magazine is finally out. It's the May issue of the National Geographic Traveler magazine in the UK. Wow. Yeah, very exciting. Yeah. Now, National Geographic so was on my bucket list, and I'll take the traveler. <laughs> right, right. So um, is that in the U.S. too or just in the Canadian version? 
No, right now it's just in the UK and in, uh, in England. It's in the United. It's the United Kingdom version. So still trying to find myself a copy. <laughs> I have some people over there looking for me. I'm sure they'll send me one though. It would be it would be nice to get uh, you know that transpired again into the uh, North American issue, but we'll see. I'm not sure how it works. Well, I don't know how many people take trips across the Andes from the USA, but that's. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's quite a quite a trip. Yeah. But now, now, I also would see you at, uh, I, a couple of years ago, I saw you at the Rolex. Yeah, this year, actually, I think was my 30th year at Rolex, and I think I missed two. One, I was living in Cuba at the time, and one, I was uh, delivering a baby. Well, that would make it difficult, wouldn't it? <laughs> So are you uh, on assignment when you go see those Rolex uh, events? or The Rolex three-day event in Kentucky for me uh, used to be on assignment for various Canadian magazines and various uh, U.S. magazines plus commercial clients. There's a lot of photographers out there now, so it's a little bit more… Cutthroat? Yeah, it's a little bit more cutthroat to get assignment-based, so I basically do it for stock. I still work for two or three Canadian magazines and a bunch of U.S. magazines. But for me, it's just nice because it's still brown and ugly and muddy hair at that time of year. So for me to drive down to Kentucky, it kind of gets the juices rolling, some nice greens. I do a lot of extra stuff. I'll do breeds. I went to the track this time, Uh, a lot of behind the scenes, a lot of typical horse show stuff. It just really gets my my stock blood rolling again. Mm Mm-hmm. So, are you where, where are you in terms of your career at this point? Because you're transitioning more to the stock and the art, and less assignment and less editorial. But would you say you're semi-retired, or or are you? Well, active? it's hard. It's hard to say. I'm just taking a different path. Kind of things happen for a reason, I believe. Uh huh. I decided last year to attempt to sell my photography as fine art. I um, chose a number of photos that really resonated with me, only maybe about 10 in total. Blew about five or six of them up fairly large on canvas and attempted to sell them at various art shows. Okay. And how, and how did that go? Actually, I've only been at it for a year. And as of July 1st this year, I'll be in five different art galleries and have my stuff hanging in two different restaurants as well. And I have sold two of the large canvases and one of the large pieces on metal and quite a few of the fine art. So I'm getting good response. Um, I figured if it wasn't going to go forward after a year, uh, I would quit, but things look like they're moving on. So I'm excited about that. So when you describe something as a fine art piece, does that mean it's a smaller uh, photograph and fra- custom framing, or yeah, well, versus the I, canvases? I mean, well, it's um, just different pieces that don't really lend themselves to editorial and commercial. They're just I don't know. Have to me have a lot more meaning to them, and they kind of put you right in where you want to be. And it, um, I've enlarged them to quite large, 40, 48 by 36 kind of on canvas with a float mount. And then some of them I've printed on metal. And they just 
they just lend themselves more to hanging on the wall and enjoying them. And I've put them at a price point where I just want people that appreciate them, that like looking at them, can actually afford them. <laughs> so uh, are you willing to share the general price points you're, you're targeting? Yes. the uh, I've limited edition them to out of 40 on the canvas. And they're running between six fifty and eight hundred and fifty dollars at the moment. And the metal, the pieces on metal are around sixteen twenty and thirty by forty, and the sixteen by twenty is going for four hundred and fifty dollars. And they're limited edition to fifty. I did have a gallery that wanted me to limit edition them to five and he was putting prices like twenty five hundred and thirty five hundred dollars on them and it just didn't didn't sit right for me. I talked to a lot of gallery owners and there's, as far as I can tell, two different type of art buyers. The ones that buy the art just to say that they have that person's art hanging on their wall. And then the ones that buy the art because they like looking at it and they appreciate it and they just want to see it every day. Right. And you're after and that second audience. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so now, I did a presentation at uh, the Can-Am Emporium, which is a horse trade fair in Markham, Ontario, just north of Toronto. And they asked me to do a presentation on how to photograph your horse. I thought, okay, I'll do that. I've never done it before. It went very well on the Friday, and on the Saturday, I had 60 people come to it, and a lot of Q&A, which was good. And then uh, about 40 people came back to the booth and told me how they enjoyed it and wanted to know if I would be interested in running workshops. So this June <laughs> will be the first workshop. And what I'd like to do is teach people how to photograph three-day events, the jumping, the dressage, and the cross-country, and a little bit about the business, how to photograph it efficiently, how to be safe, that type of thing. Mm -hmm. So we'll see how that goes. Right. Now, I know a couple of photographers that I've interviewed where a good portion of their income is from their workshops. So it's kind I've of interesting. That. I've also heard from various people that they've been to various workshops where they haven't been taught. I thought that was interesting. They went to the workshop, but they didn't feel that they instructed. were educated, uh, instructed enough. Yeah. Interesting. So, uh, mm -hmm. Yeah. And some pretty top paying, <laughs> yeah. Some pretty high, high up there workshops. I was quite surprised by that. So I'm hoping that I can, I can be one that educates people. I'm I'm ready to give back. Uh huh. Right now. I think that's my. I'm not chasing the almighty quarter page on the magazine right now. Yeah, I'm still chasing the magazine covers, mm -hmm. and it's nice to get those uh, commercial gigs. But I think at this point giving back through the workshops and, and moving towards the art is really where my, my path has taken and definitely continuing with the horseback riding vacation articles. And if I could get those articles more streamlined as in national geographic traveler magazine and a little bit outside of the horse, um, editorial and more towards mainstream travel, I think that would be where I'd like to go. We do have one person that I interviewed that uh, did an Alps trip on her own and uh, basically wrote a book about it and then 
goes on traveling tours talking about it. So those are kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. Everyone's asked me when my I'm going to do my book. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I guess it's whenever I have time to sit and stop and think about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I do have my title, though. I would like to call it From the Saddle. From the Saddle, a whole a yeah. book about your photography and career or a, a book about travel? A book about the my riding horseback riding vacations. Because when I go on a horseback riding vacation, I do shoot from the horse. I carry my cameras with me, and and they find that I get, most of the outfitters find that I get pictures that look a little bit more real, like you're really there instead of waiting for the moment where you get off the horse, set everything up, take that scenic photo, and move on. I tend to, uh, to shoot while I'm riding, and with the Icelandic horse, I actually shot at a full tolt. Oh, cool. And the pictures came out clear. <laughs> with with image-stabilized lenses, huh? Or high-speed. Yeah. <laughs> now, you're not carrying a 400-millimeter lens for this shooting, apparently. No, I usually take two bodies. I have a D3 and a D4, and if I can, or D4S, I'll borrow another D4 from Nikon. And I put a wide angle in one bag on one side and the 80 to 200 on a bag on the other side. That way I don't have to change lenses. And then on one ride when we were in um, Montana and rode with uh, Blue Sky Sage Outfitters to the Wild Horses, they actually put my 300-2.8 on the back of the saddle and we, we rode it out and then put the 300 on the monopod to capture the wild horses. All right. So how do you keep your cameras from getting all beat up? Well, I have them in two low-pro bags. Um, I tried Think Tank. They're both good bags. Uh, low-pro just had a better top-loading thing for your cards that I like better and some extra zippers outside. Um, they're fairly stable in there, and um, I do hold them down when we're at a full gallop so they don't flop. I have a back uh, belt, a belt that gives a little bit more of a back support. And then I have carabiners on either side of the bag so they don't slide around front to bag, front to okay, back. Okay, so you're wearing them like a backpack? Uh, basically around my waist. Oh, okay. Gotcha. On a belt around my waist, one on the right, one on the left. Almost like, you know, packing two, two pistols. yeah. <laughs> cool. And then when I'm on the horse, I uh, always put the uh, reins through my hand and the strap on the camera over my neck so that I always have two reins or one hand at least on the reins just to be safe a lot of times the outfitters will ride with me and they'll hold my horse while I shoot but pretty much after about an hour on the horse the horse gets the idea right hold still I'm taking a picture they stand there and they know okay she's going to click about five or six times and then we'll move on the odd time you will get the horse that absolutely refuses to go away from the pack Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. At that point, you just have to either not shoot or see if you can switch horses. Or do you tell the whole pack to stop moving? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, okay, uh, you know, I'm trying to use this for educational purposes, uh, for equine photographers and people interested in getting into equine photography or expanding or changing what they're doing within equine photography. I thought it might be interesting to ask you how you communicate with publications, how you 
solicit uh, work and all that sort of thing. How, I mean, you said you'd use the 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 photography magazine just as a database. Yeah, that was your database. But yeah, tell us about the actual methods of communicating to get things to happen. Well, I think first and foremost, go to a big bookstore that has a huge magazine rack and flip through the magazines to see which ones resonate with you and which ones you have a passion for that type of photography. Because some of the magazines are a little different. You know, do you want to be the person that goes out and shoots the horse show and gets the two pictures of the winner and whatnot? Do you want to be more stock-oriented, medical, or just and just in the the level of photography that's published in that magazine. And once you pinpoint it down to a couple of the magazines, a simple email to the, I mean, they're always looking for fresh new blood and new angles, uh, an email or a phone call to the photo editor and, or the editor. If you want to do horse show photography, a lot of times you just have to be there. You have to be at the horse show, meet the people, um, there's also the... Um, so how, how do you go about meeting the people at a horse show? At a horse show? You know, yeah. there's there's always... You can always tell what someone's writing or interviewing. Um, you can go into the media center and just sort of ask, you know, who's who and who's there and introduce yourself, give them a business card, tell them you'll send them, you know, some images. You can also always call the magazines and see if there's anyone covering a particular show that they might want pictures, uh, or you might be doing something interesting that you think that they might want some coverage of and a simple phone call and an email. I did a lot of sales in my previous work life. So cold calling doesn't really bother me. I know some people, it, it bothers them, but they have to know if, they, you know, you might have something that they want. Even at the Olympics, I walked right up to the, um, was it a AP, Associated Press, with a picture and said, you know, I have this interesting fall picture. Do you think it might be, if it was one of the riders falling, do you think it might be something that you'd, you'd want to run? And uh, they're never going to just turn you away. They're always going to look and see what you've got. Now, some people tell me Flickr is a good place. I haven't used it, personally. I also think it's a really good idea to have some type of a website or a page where you can easily send people to to show them your the types and quality of images that you do. Mm-hmm. And um, yours, yours is quite extensive. It's, it, you would call that your stock photography site, wouldn't you? Yes. It's just eventually how it ended up building up. Um, Followed in the footsteps of Arndt Bronkhorst. He was the first one to do a website where editors could download high-res at their will and just pay you for what they wanted. It's really freed up time for me. So you're not I could be negotiating each image. That's right. And I don't have to be there. If, uh, if an editor needs a picture of something specific and happens to be on my website, they can just go there and find it. Makes it kind of nice. I mean, I'm still always behind. I've still got tons of images that need to be uploaded, and I do upload the priority ones that magazines need if I know that's a subject that they're looking for. Basically, right now, though, I shoot a year in advance, you know, because I'm shooting the springtime stuff now that probably won't appear until April, May next year. Mm-hmm. 
But now, um, when you upload some, let's say you upload 50 or 100 images, do you then send out an email blast to certain editors? Or Yes, I do. Um, typically, if I'm uploading, it's because a certain magazine has that on their want list. So then I'll just uh, email them with a link. Um, the last couple of times I haven't had a, I just haven't had the time to do an email blast. Uh, and basically on my, on my website also, there's new photos. So editors can go to the new photos. They can see that still needs a lot of organization. You have to be really, really careful with your keywords and your descriptions when you're, uh, processing. Right. Right. A lot of time in the back end. (laughs) Well, I mean, you've got things like camping, uh, bucking, breeds, braids, yeah. braiding, boots, careers. Yeah, and interesting things like when I was at the track uh, during Rolex, I came across a new bit that I'd never even seen before called a ring bit. So shoot that. You know, it's funny when I – people would laugh at me when I was at Rolex years ago and there would be everyone taking pictures of the – top rider with their horse doing the jog up and I'd be zooming in on quarter marks and bell boots and bits and <laughs> parts of bridles and they'd all be laughing at me but you know that's the kind of stuff that not everybody shoots but every magazine needs right okay so just as a kind of a roundup it, your photography now what percentage of your business is now the art shows what percentage is still in the stock realm and what percentage is actual assignments or your travel thing i would say that the travel is probably 30 and the stock 30 right now probably about even i mean the stock being editorial as well um no when you say editorial you mean assignments no, that would just be stock for magazines. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Commercial 30, stock and editorial stock. Yeah. Okay. And 30 in the travel. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe a bit more, probably 40 in the travel because I do do the written as well as the as the photography. And the nice thing about it is that once I have done the story, all those images become stock. So they they still make money down the road. And with the writing, I can resell um, a story numerous times within a given time period. You know, I give it a good time frame. And uh, so that's probably would bump that up to about 50%, I would say, the travel. 30 to stock and then um, 20 to the art at the moment. And hopefully uh, the workshops will take over a little bit about that. Just trying to pin down price pricing at the moment. Trying to find out what a typical day workshop is worth. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, you could go to a couple of the uh, podcasts. Mm-hmm. Um, there was uh, Tony Stromberg does workshops all over the world. Yes, and, and he's quite pricey. Okay. So and then, I, and then I have some not up in his league yet. Right, right. And then there are there are a couple others that are doing smaller, just within their area workshops. Mm-hmm. Um, Shelly Paulson and and uh, there was another girl too that was doing some workshops. So 
Yeah, I'll take a look at those because my first one will just be local. And the nice thing about this workshop that I'm going to introduce is that on the Sunday, we'll do Friday and Saturday practice shooting, talking about the business. We'll be walking the course at an actual event. And then on the Sunday, we will all be shooting the actual event as it takes place. In other words, some some steeple chasing or it'll be yeah dressage, stadium jumping, and cross country. Uh-huh. And so they'll be able to decide what's the best way to be able to shoot everyone. What kind of images do they want to take? Which ones do they think would bring in more money? What's you know just a way to organize your day? Right. Okay. Well, that sounds great. Now, uh, just closing up. Um, how can people reach you and are you willing for them to call you or email you with questions yeah my website is clicksphoto.com c-l-i-x-p-h-o-t-o.com i can be reached by email through there my email is clicksphoto7 at gmail.com that's clicksphoto with the number seven at gmail.com i'm hard to reach by phone uh best to email me um through my website, it's a little bit easier. I'm ha- I'm a hard person to track down. <laughs> well, it but seems I'm like you're very delicate. you're 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 very traveled. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. you go, you're you're going places all the time. Yes, I'm trying to sell my house right now. That's fun. For everyone who's listening today, we would appreciate you to uh, subscribe to the podcast and uh, hopefully. Uh, do some ratings and reviews. We're looking forward to our next interviewee. So thank you very much, Sean, for coming on. And we appreciate all that you've shared. Thank you very much. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for joining us for the Equine Photographers Podcast. We hope you were inspired to grow and improve as an equine photographer by listening today. Join us for the next episode to learn and grow and to be inspired as we interview some of today's outstanding image makers.